welcome to this week's edition of the Change Log, episode 0.0.4. Today is November 29th, 2009. I am Adam Stachowiak. And I am Wynn Netherland. Very cool. Wynn, what do you do, man? What, tell me about yourself. I am a designer slash developer slash designer slash developer. Okay. Still trying to figure that out. Uh, have you? What are you doing to figure it out? I am designing and developing. Oh, cool. And where can people find you and reach you and all that good stuff? Easiest way is to find me on Twitter at Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. And I blog at winnetherland.com. Like the country, right? Just like the country without the S, which usually I get, there's a country named the Netherlands. (laughs) How cool. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. What about you, Adam? Oh, you know, I... um... I run this company called Handcrafted. It's uh, sort of evolving at this at this moment, but uh, Handcrafted is uh, is my launchpad for doing much like you do design and development work. We're also dabbling in some social media work, um, uh, obviously website building, design, all that good stuff. But I also do a podcast called the Web 2.0 Show. If you don't listen to it, you probably should. It's uh, web2oshow.com. On Twitter, it's web2oshow. And... Uh, I do this great podcast called The Change Law with you, Win. And if you wanted to reach out to me on Twitter, you could at uh, Adam Stack. And if you want to tweet us at The Change Log, it's Change Log Show. Yeah. On Twitter. Cool. We appreciate retweets and, and, and direct messages and uh, polite, beautiful emails at hello at thechangelaw.com. If, if you'd like to submit a story, you can submit it at submit at thechangelog.com. Very cool. Very cool. So what do we have? What's our lineup today? Oh, we've got a lot this week, which is surprising given it's a holiday week. But uh, we've been busy this uh, first full week on the change log. Yeah. First up, Google Chrome. Google Chrome. Google Chrome. There's lots of stuff going on with Google Chrome. I think they just uh, changed their name to – well, they just announced changing it to Chromium OS because they're taking it from being proprietary to open source. Which uh, which is really awesome, and obviously why it's on the change log. A lot of stuff coming out of Google lately. We had our uh, interview with Rob Pike this last week with um, Google Go, the new programming language, and he mentioned uh, Chrome OS and that. Yeah, I like to. You know, I was actually even though we got listed on Y Combinator on the news site there, I, I was really happy to see that that commentary back and forth on there. I mean, that was really pleasing to me to see people listen to the episode. And kind of digest it, and then come back to Y Combinator and start commenting. Oh, absolutely! So, you excited about Chrome OS? Um, I was contemplating buying one of those Dell, was it V tens or whatever? Those little netbooks, little minis. Yeah, I mean, for just under three hundred bucks, it's not a bad buy. And if you can get the, you know, the the operating system on there for you know, for, for nothing, for free, you've got yourself a portable, full-fledged, uh, you know, netbook. And, you know, with what they're doing with Wave and what they're doing with other things, you know, I have high hopes for what this, uh, what's going to do. It's going to, it's changing the game for sure. Now we're going to go into operating system wars and browser wars again, of course, and communication usages like, uh, you know, using Wave versus Twitter or Facebook or some other way to communicate. I'll be anxious to see um, how designers can sink their teeth into it and, and really make it look a little bit uh, more aesthetic than, uh, than the current demos that I've seen. We're really scaled back and, uh, and lightweight as far as 
user experience. Have you seen any of the demos on YouTube? I've seen some of them. They all seem, I mean, they're okay, I suppose. They they do have some some user uh, user interface experiments listed on the Chromium OS site, which uh, you can go to chromium.org and uh, browse around there. There's a couple links there for it. Not too bad. I think it's, you know, it's a developing product. What's cool about it, though, is that it, it is open source, you know, and that that uh, if you don't like the design of things, you can volley up a new design. You can always fork it. Yeah, fork it. Well, actually, here you can't because they, they do all their source code management with Mercurial, right? Right. You know, and that's one thing. Um, you know, normally, um, when you end up on a open source project and it's hosted at Google Code, it, it seems like it just immediately slows down as far as finding documentation and, and information about it. There's just something hard to navigate for me with uh, Google Google's code hosting. I much yeah. prefer GitHub or um, yeah. any of those. I um, it would be really interesting to see Google begin to migrate to using Git, and more importantly, supporting GitHub. I'd like to see how what that would do for GitHub. I know it's done a um, tremendous favor for the Ruby community. That's usually tends to be where I'm involved in code. Uh, to be able to to fork projects and and submit patches, and it's really effortless for project maintainers to take code from other people from the community and integrate it back into the main line uh, effortlessly a uh, lot easier than a subversion and some of the other tools out there and yeah i'd be interested to see what some of these projects that are hosted on, on uh, google code could do if they did make the jump to git yeah well i guess one disclaimer too about uh, before we move on from chrome os or chromium os or whatever it uh really becomes because right now it's, be, it's being called chromium os but uh, still, I guess news sources are still headlining, you know, Google Chrome OS because that's a good, powerful headline. But one thing to keep a note of is that it's actually not ready for consumers to use. It's, it's still in this, uh, you know, developer-only stage. But I, and I think they're going to find that um, confusion lag a little bit just because in some of the demos that I've watched on um, YouTube, the Google guys themselves have made the comment that Chromium is Chrome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you're really interested, they have a mailing list uh, at uh, at our blog uh, article on the change. Like you can check that out. There's a link out to the mailing list as well as chromium.org, uh, the code base. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back because I'm looking at our article and I didn't even think about it. But the code base for Chromium OS is in Git. Is it really? Yeah. Go look at the article. Check that out. It is. Yes, code base Git. I. That's so odd that, that it is in Git, but maybe uh, they're not hosting on on code.google.com because that was one of the points that Rob made last week. Yeah, yeah, he was like, you know, that's why we do it because you know Google Code doesn't support Git; it supports Mercurial or SVN. And yeah, they got their own. It's at source.chromium.org, src.chromium.org. Interesting. Awesome. I wonder why they, we'd have to talk to them. Maybe maybe we can get an email over to them and ask them why they chose Git. That, that's really interesting. Maybe that's a. Uh, Important of things to come. Maybe, maybe. What's up? What's uh, what's what's next then? Handbrake 094 released with 64-bit support. You big Handbrake fan? I actually am. Yeah, um, I back up all of my my DVDs. I I actually do it a unique way instead of I don't know if it's a unique way. I have a specific setting in my Handbrake. I pop my DVD in, I pull it up, I choose a specific setting, and I dump it to one file. And uh, I used to do it to the MKV. Uh, format, which uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't recall what that short short uh, shorthand's for, 
But uh, now I actually do it to .m, uh, .mp4, I think is what it is. Let me, let me confirm that. You find a lot more compatibility with the .mp4 than the... Well, you know, what I like about it is that it, it opens up in QuickTime, uh, especially this newest QuickTime in Snow Leopard, super fast. And it also takes all the chapters of the DVD and puts them right there. So I could just jump in QuickTime. I could just jump from chapter to chapter. So it... it you know, while you're backing it up to one file and it does shrink it significantly down from like four or five or seven gigs down to like usually around a gig or a little bit more. So if you're someone like me who's a fan of Drobo and you have a Drobo in your house, so you have like one store for these things. I have one store for all my movies, both kid movies and, you know, adult movies, not like those kind of adult movies. <laughs> non-cartoon movies. Yeah, non-cartoon adult <laughs> movies. <laughs> um you know, I'm dumping those to to one file, and I'm saving huge space. And I have Boxy running on on uh, a Mac Mini sitting right there in the living room. Uh, Jennifer and I both use this uh, use the the Boxy app on our iPhones because we both have iPhones. Uh, so it, it gets really easy to to break away from Comcast and those those cable people. And not that they're bad. It just you know, mainstream TV is so. You know what? 2006, man. It's 2009. Let's go. Yeah, you know, I've seen your setup with Drobo and some of the other apps that you use. It definitely needs to be a blog article on AdamStakoviak.com. Is you know my home media setup because you've got the most methodical library um, system for updating all your media that I've ever seen. I'll do that for sure. Actually, uh, it's .m4v is what those dump out to from, and those are uh, those are compatible with. With um, is that right? M4V. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, M4V. Well, I'm looking at some of the file names. M4V is one of them, and MP4 is another one. But I'm thinking, I think it dumps out M4Vs, and the average file size I'm looking at them. Let's see right here. Curious case of Ben Button was 2.6 gigs. Uh, Blood Diamond was 2.2 gigs. Fifty uh, first states was one point five gigs, so you're kind of seeing a picture. It's around a gig and a half versus five gigs, though. That's a nice backup, and you, really, you can't see a difference. And I can only imagine. I haven't tried out the sixty four bit handbrake that they just released yet. And uh, the cool thing about what's happening here is that instead of taking two, two to three hours to dump out your your one file, it's it's actually doing it almost in real time DVD time. So you're probably getting around the actual time of a of the actual movie. Like uh, the encode time is, is significantly less, ten percent faster. You know, it makes the story newsworthy uh, for the guys out there listening. Is it's been such a long time coming for a handbrake release, and this change log shows over a thousand changes. Wow, that is and, that's insane. And remember, boys and girls, cha- uh, handbrake is only to be used to make legal backups of media you already own. Absolutely, yeah. Why would you? No, don't do anything like that. Don't steal. Don't steal. Don't steal. All right, let's move on. What uh, what else we got? One of your stories: functional cocoa applications using WebKit. Well, um, you know, I'm a fan of Henrik. Uh, forgive me, I don't even know the the fellow's full name. I'm going to jump out to Twitter real quick and check it out. Henrik Nye. Hopefully, I said that right. Um, he's somebody I've been a fan for fan of for a while. He he actually forks a a uh, has a popular fork of Jekyll that supports Hamel, which is where I kind of noticed him at. Plus, he also runs this. A uh, very cool uh, blog with a pug sitting there. It's a pug drawing that his, uh, I think his girlfriend did it. 
a little off topic, but it's called the Pug Automatic. So he has a very good blog. You can check him out, henrik.nyh.se. Jekyll meaning the uh, static page generator? Yeah, yeah. Um, Tom Presto Warner's uh, TP Dubs is uh, his awesome blog, blog aware incarnation called Jekyll. Very, very cool. But, you know, the reason why I, uh, I post this was simply because Henrik talked about it and I gave him a hat tip on the, on the blog. And I figure if it's noteworthy to him, it's noteworthy to us. And his quote unquote, his, uh, his uh, Twitter, his tweet was uh, Coco, UI, Coco UI looks, uh, was it Coke UI? Coke, Coke UI looks interesting. Coco apps using WebKit makes you want to code a decent kiosk. So I imagine if he's looking at it, it's newsworthy and why not? I don't actually use Coco. So WebKit seems to be um, everywhere these days. Yeah, it's, uh, it's doing lots of good stuff. It's behind Safari, behind a, a number of projects out there. Do you ever download the WebKit Nightlies? No. I do this, and they uh, have the Sparkle update uh, engine. It's popular in a lot of Mac right. OS yeah. applications. Um, I was glad when they implemented that feature so that you don't have to uh, manually pull down the Nightlies anymore. But uh, it's really fun to see the, uh, the progress of the WebKit engine that powers Safari on a nightly basis to see what CSS3 support that they're adding. Hmm. Cool. If you get a chance, do that. Yeah, well, I'll make sure I do. I'll let you know when I do. And if I have any questions, I know where to reach you because you told me earlier. <laughs> At Penguin. There That's you go, right. buddy. <laughs> What's next? Uh, got- Rails 2.3.5. And this is um, a minor release that has some XSS vulnerabilities um, patched in it. Thanks to Mike Gunderloy at AfreshCup.com for giving, giving us the unofficial change log on this one since um, the Ruby on Rails site was a little slow to get the, uh, the nodes out there. Uh, Mike does a number of things in the Ruby community to, uh, to promote Rails and, and uh, bring people into the community. But uh, kind of begs the bigger question, where's Rails two th- uh, 3.0, right? We were promised this at, um, at RailsConf this year and still haven't seen it. I'm sure that they're doing something awesome, and it just takes patience. Now, hopefully, it'll arrive before the next version of uh, TextMate. Yeah. Or Expression Engine. <laughs> yeah. Those are those are two promised next versions too. I, what I like too, um, I guess not so much on the Rails front, but I, I also noticed you had a nice. Uh, you paid some nice homage to to Mike at your one of your recent blog articles, one of your Thanksgiving articles. Yeah, I did. Um, the site that I plugged earlier for Mike, a Fresh Cup, is uh, much like the much like the change log. It's a um, uh, link aggregator for just hot Ruby links that are out there. And I'm not sure where he digs up all his info, but it's uh, usually how I start my morning is seeing what uh, juicy links uh, Mike's got out there. Very cool. Before we move on, what uh, we got a couple of bullet points there for Rails two three five. What uh, what in there is important? The XSS vulnerabilities we mentioned, and then some uh, Ruby one nine compatibilities. I still, personally, haven't made uh, the full time jump to, to Ruby one nine for my projects. Have you? I don't know. <laughs> I run Ruby, and whatever's on the system is what they give me. Uh, I- I'm not quite that bad, but you know, I just don't keep up with the versioning of Rails quite as much as uh, as anyone else might. Simply because it's just not the piece that I'm always intimate with. Sorry. Gotcha. You're just an unfrozen front-end developer. My Ruby and Rails world frightens you. Yeah, well, no, it doesn't frighten me. It's just, you know, somebody else is always taking care of it, and I just never <laughs> had to. So I guess that's the lazy developer in me. I'll change one day, I'm sure. 
laziness is the mark of a good developer. And one thing I'll notice before our note before we move on is um, on this Rails 235 article on the changelog.com, uh, you'll see the GitHub statistics for this uh, repo since it is a, a link to a GitHub repo. Uh, Rails has been forked 732 times and has 4,529 watchers. And if you go out and either fork it or watch it right now, those numbers will update because we're pulling those numbers live from, from GitHub. That's true. That's a good note to make because whenever you look at any of these links out to GitHub, we're pulling those, those, uh, those stats live. Uh, I cool. just love that feature. I love that feature too. I, I really hope that the audience and the readers of the blog appreciate it too. I think I actually got uh, asked a question by a couple people. They're like, what? GitHub integration? You have your GitHub aware? What do you mean? I'm like, well, you see those little the, the little fork icon, the little watcher icon there? Well, that actually means forks and watchers. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think our icons are better than what GitHub chose for theirs because the other day <laughs> we were trying to test these numbers and you were telling me where to, to find the links and from their icons it wasn't. That's true, it, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't uh, uh, apparent of what, what their links meant. Right. Wrestler, REST client library for Node.js. This is a kind of a twofer article. I guess we should first discuss Node.js, right? Yeah, yeah. Node.js, they just released uh, version 0.1.20. And the lowdown for Node.js can be found at nodejs.org. And what it is is a server side. Before maybe Node.js, not Node.js. Nodejs.org. Is my accent. No, it's not your accent. It's just clear because <laughs> earlier when we were talking just a little bit before we started uh, chit-chatting here, when you said that, I actually went out to nodejs.org. Node, so, N-O-D-E. N-O-D-E. Yeah. .org. I continue. My bad. Evented I.O. for V8 JavaScript. Now, I guess we have to back up even further. V8 JavaScript is a cool project from Google. Uh, it's a, a JavaScript engine that, that powers the, the Chrome um, projects that we talked about earlier. Oh, really? This is very similar to um, to Sinatra at first glance here. They mentioned a couple of other Ruby and Python projects, um, Twisted and Event Machine. Um, but it's basically just a way to, to write a server-side, lightweight HTTP server using JavaScript since it uh, leans itself to writing evented code in this way. So it's got a pseudo-DSL where you just crank open a... Uh, some listeners and via some methods can send data back to the browser and have a really lightweight uh, web server running them. Anxious to see where this is headed now with Wrestler. On top of this, this is from uh, Dan Webb. He can be found at uh, twitter.com slash, I believe, Dan Wrong. Dan Wrong, yeah. Uh, you ever follow Dan's stuff? Uh, I, I did a little bit, of, uh, not long ago, but I'm not a, a deep fan of Dan's. Not For no for reason, just not. Dan's forgotten more JavaScript than I'll ever learn. Ah. <laughs> I was turned on to, to um, Dan's project um, that allowed you to do uh, unobtrusive JavaScript in, um, in prototype before I found uh, the joys of jQuery. So back in the day, which back, is what? Back in the day, yeah. It was like two years ago. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> well, that's actually just about three years ago now. Well, four. Adam- Open source moves fast. Keep up. That's true. So he's written an HTTP client library for Node.js called Wrestler that allows you to quickly implement a, a um, REST client on top of it. So uh, I guess the uh, the newsworthy angle here is that 
people are starting to to build projects on top of Node.js, and it's got uh, some momentum. And we'll see what sort of projects uh, are built with this thing, and and uh, see what sort of run server side uh, JavaScript can make. Yeah, ever since we posted this story too, the the watchers have gone up significantly. I think it was like what would you say it was like ten watchers, eight watchers at first. Now it's yeah, like it was. And I'm going to take credit for every one of those. Right. <laughs> Alrighty, Riot. Riot. An extremely fast running unit testing framework. This is one of yours. Yeah, I uh, again, I, I I'm going to steal some thunder, but uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Jeg2 on Twitter, also known as James Edward Gray2, the second, I guess. Uh, he's written some books that, uh, that I've, that I've uh, read. I've actually read half of his uh, Power Editing with TextMate book, and I'm a fan of his blog, even though I'm not much of a Rubyist. I, I think the guy is super, super passionate about writing awesome Ruby code. He, he's, uh, he's somebody that definitely is, a, is a noteworthy in the community, Every event I've ever been to that's involved Ruby, I guess LS uh, Lone Star Ruby Conference, I've seen him there. He spoke at both of them, so he's uh, respecting the community. He posted this on Twitter, and simply because he's following it, he said, I make commits to Riot and Colorize today, and once there are brand new releases of both, Riot will be promoted to my favorite Ruby testing library. So I figured... <laughs> if he's talking about it, it's, new, it's newsworthy, right? Why that's not? a crowded landscape, so that's quite a statement. Yeah, uh, you know, figured if he's talking about it, why not? Ruby testing is, yeah, like you said, it's a crowded landscape. There you go, Riot. You know, they have a port of Riot for JavaScript too. It's called Riot JS. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. You know, it's amazing to me how similar a lot of these syntax are to um, RSpec and Shoulda and Cucumber. Hopefully, um, we can mix and match uh, a lot of these vocabularies and, and use them interchangeably. And it doesn't really matter. What's doing the testing under the hood? It's the fact that we are testing and we're kind of maturing as a as an industry. Um, and actually, it's kind of funny though that you that you mentioned shoulda and even RSpec because if you go and check out the if you if you go to the link from that that blog article over to GitHub and check out the actual README file, he goes in and talks about uh, you know oh my god why did you write this? And so he's even got some background. You know, you start a new project, you get all excited. I'm reading verbatim, by the way. You're adding new tests. You're adding factories. You're adding this. You're doing that. And before you know it, you got 3,000 plus lines of test code, 2,000 assertions, and you know things are getting slower and slower. So the point of testing and even TDD or you know test-driven development, you're you're trying to start with tests before you even really get into your code, right? So you've got all this stuff that's preventing you from, I guess, getting to actually coding, right? And if that slows down the process, or that, or if that, if that becomes more complex than it should be. You got some failures there, so I think he took a step back and said, "Well, what should we do?" And this is the solution to, you know, shoulda, respect, respect, and it's awesome. Well, check it out. Check it out. Thor gets another one that got you excited. Make development easier. Literally. Yeah, I, uh, I I took a peek at this, and one thing that I liked about um, Thor get was was that obviously that Thor is you know really easy to use. Like you said, if you can write a Ruby class, it's pretty easy to write. A few different uh, Thor commands and Thor. Thor is from Ycats, Yehuda cats. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what really got me excited about this was that it was you know easy to to uh, to do open new branches. It's actually more, more more part of a process, and he even explains that in the in the readme is that you know the tasks are designed around a particular workflow. 
So if you're working against a particular upstream or a single upstream that you get push, or even you know if you're using Git uh, SVN in your in your workflow, you do git Git SVN decommit. Uh, well, um, in this workflow, you know masters typically your uh, your upstream. So it, it kind of defines a certain workflow, and this is the the workflow I think I follow. Right, if you're going to make a change, you branch. You make all those changes against that branch, that that topic branch, as they call it. And when you're ready to take that back into the mainstream, back into master, there's a certain process. So you have these git commands that obviously let you do that, but with these Thor commands, it makes it really, really simple to do. So you just say Thor git colon open to open a new topic branch. You do some naming there. And then when you're ready to go back to master, you just say obviously git or Thor git colon close and then name the branch. So it's got a nice little process there. It's really neat. I like writing these uh, Thor scripts because I'm not much of a bashed command line guy. Right. Um, but I can write Ruby, and so it's opened up a whole other world of scripting for me. And I love the way that you can install these Thor scripts directly from GitHub just by passing uh, the URL to the to the script and passing the raw equals true, which will tell GitHub to to serve up just the raw text. Pretty neat stuff. Something that uh, that actually didn't make it to the changelog blog, but uh, should probably be mentioned. There was a couple other Thor tasks on GitHub that I that I sort of hunted down that led some additional functionality to what this this Thor Git is doing. Like I think that there's there's obviously there's no uh, GitHub support with this, but you know it's favoring a certain Git workflow. I think that's why uh, maybe why those things aren't in there. there yeah, if you want to find uh, neat Thor scripts for your uh, just your own use, just do a GitHub search for Thor, and you'll you'll find. A lot of folks will have uh, a Thor task or a Thor scripts um, repo that has a number of Thor scripts in there and usually arranged by topic and file. Yeah, very cool. All righty. Last up this evening is WebRoar, Ruby Rack Rails application server. So yet another Ruby stack. Yet another. I... Uh... Well, let's just rewind. How many have we seen since we started, at least I started, uh, Ruby development back in 2006? Webrick. Yeah, Webrick was, was the first one, right? Mongrel. Mongrel. And then we had um, Thin. Thin, yeah. Uh, uh, passenger. Passenger, which I'm still on Passenger. Um, yeah, for the most part. currently using Passenger. Uh, Unicorn's another player in this space that's getting some press lately. Yeah, and that's actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because they have some benchmarks they point to that are pretty significant. It shows how WebRoar is kicking some butt over some of those ones we mentioned, and they are based on their benchmarks, so they encourage you to do your own benchmarking and you know try to prove them wrong, but uh, they left Unicorn out, and Unicorn, uh, from what I understand, is super, super fast. I have, uh, I guess the only... Experience I've had with Unicorn is when GitHub is pissed off, and I see that uh, that rainbow unicorn that looks quite angry. <laughs> you ever seen this? Uh, yeah, I think I I've caught that once or twice. Yeah, but I see it less and less, especially now that they're at Rackspace. It seems to be running pretty smoothly since they moved over. Um, should also be mentioned too that there's a hat tip to. Uh, uh, let me try and say his name the the right way. I even had a hard time saying it when we interviewed him on the Web 2.0 show. Ilya Grigorik, is that right? I believe that's right. Yeah, so he runs uh, PostRank, uh, real notable in the community, won a Ruby Hero Award two years ago. Uh, super, super guy. So I saw him tweet about it, 
And I thought, you know, hey, if, uh, if Ilya's talking about it, you know, he says it's pretty promising, so why not uh, pull it into the mix? It's it's brand new. It's only been released, a, I think, a couple weeks at most. So it's nice to see people trying to make this environment faster because I think, you know, one of the biggest things we hear, right, is Ruby, Rails can't scale, right? So we need something that runs it faster. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that term. Oh, really? <laughs> Just some sort of problem with rail scaling? I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's you know. It's just you know, word on the street. You know. Yeah, igvita.com. I g v i t a dot com is uh, is his blog, and it's quite popular. And if you're not uh, a subscriber, you should be. Yeah, and if you're a listener out there that that actually has done some benchmarking with WebRoar against Unicorn, I'd be really interested to, even though I'm not a Rubyist uh, per se, or Whatever, I think it would be uh, nice to hear some feedback from from you guys if if you have done some benchmarking against Unicorn. That's pretty much the lineup this week. If you've got a story for us that we should cover on the Changelog, uh, email it to us at submit at thechangelog.com or just wrap your browser and go to thechangelog.com slash submit and uh, send us a link to that cool new open source project or uh, recently revved project that, that we should know about and share with the community. Absolutely. And uh, I guess what's coming up next week for us? I guess well soon, in a couple of days. We, who are we talking to? We have an interview with Document Cloud. Yeah, we covered a couple of their stories already. Right. And then uh, on the roadmap, hopefully we'll catch up with the MongoDB guys, and then some other surprises towards the end of the year. Absolutely. All right. Well, stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Change Log. Be sure to tune in weekly for what's fresh and new in open source. Also, visit thechangelog.com to follow along, subscribe to the feed, and more. Thank you for listening. I found myself.